up, everyone? And thank you so much for tuning in to yet another episode of Lattes with Lindsay. I'm so excited about my next guest. Her name is Mary. She's an osteopathic manual practitioner, and she's really going to get into what the actual profession is all about and, you know, how it can benefit athletics as well as the general public. So, Mary, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. Trying to deal with this COVID-19, but getting through it. So (laughs) we're all in the same boat on that one. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and some of the uh, certifications that you have and, you know, how you got involved in this profession? Um, Okay. So I'm going to start by saying I'm not quite an osteopathic manual practitioner yet. I am in, I finished all my coursework at the Canadian College of Osteopathy and I'm just in the process of finishing my thesis now to get that final designation, which I should have in November, which is very exciting. Um, But outside of that, I um, did my degree in kinesiology at Dalhousie University a long time ago. Um, And then I have since gone on um, to become a certified athletic therapist, uh, registered massage therapist, and uh, I'm now working towards getting my, my osteopathic manual practitioner, practitioner designation. Um, and I think with anything, you kind of look back at the way we look back on things to see how you kind of got there. Um, each kind of designation I fell into as another progression or another step in understanding how to work with the body and, and um, I did my degree in athletic therapy at Sheridan College, um, which is one of the found, which is the founding program for athletic therapy in Canada. And uh, we were taught by a lot of osteopathic manual practitioners through that program. They helped build the program. And uh, so they left you with a lot of questions and a lot of, I, I need to know more. And so I always knew I was gonna go down that path once I was finished with my athletic therapy uh degree and so took two years off after that and then and then dove into my my five-year program yeah oh that's amazing and and that's great because like clearly as you can tell guys she uh she's been working her butt off with education which is the most important part so um that's extremely special so that's great and what is what is like one fun fact that people will try and remember about you after this podcast um, I always find that question hard. Like, what's one fun fact about you? Um, I work with a lot of uh, different athletes in different sports, but none of them are sports that I grew up playing. So I work predominantly with hockey, basketball, and lacrosse players and played none of those sports growing up. I played soccer and I was a competitive rower. So I was very accident prone and spent a lot of time in the rehab clinic. So I feel like I have that perspective. Uh, I just always think it's funny that I work with a lot of different sports that I didn't actually grow up playing myself. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? Sometimes that happens though, because I mean, you kind of build this like curiosity around it almost like, okay, well, I didn't really get to experience it. So what can I do to kind of build that knowledge with those sports? So that's, that's really, I mean, that is a really cool fun fact. I like that. Um, and with all those like certifications that you have, you know, what is there one that is has always been something you're most proud of or like one of your biggest achievements with that career at all? Like, um, I'm I love being an athletic therapist. 
first and foremost, and I am extremely excited to be finishing my my osteopathic degree and and getting that under my belt because it was you know just a life-changing experience in the way that you work with other humans and that's amazing but um i love the foundation that i got from uh, my schooling in at um and the doors that it opened for me to be able to work with the people that i do and and not just the athletes that I work with, but definitely the people that I get to work with in the profession, because I have had the amazing opportunity to work with some um, epic people in our, within our profession. And, and I wouldn't be able to do that if I didn't have athletic therapy behind me. And so I like layering in everything else. Um, it makes me a stronger practitioner overall, but that athletic therapy degree really kind of is something I'm super proud and happy to be and always will be for sure. Yes, it is. It is something that um, I definitely regret not doing. I, I wish I, you know, finished my massage and went right into AT because there are so many perks to it. And, you know, not only working with athletes, you also work with the general public, which is, which is so nice. You get a little bit of everything. So, um, so why don't you tell us about your profession of what you're going to soon be and, you know, um, what does it really entail in regards to the actual treatments and how long they are and all that stuff? Um, so osteopathy is really the study of the human body as a whole and how everything is interconnected. Um, and it looks at not just your musculoskeletal system, but it brings in um, the viscera, the organs, the cranium, um, the brain it brings in um for some people it'll talk you can get really get into working with like the spirit of a person um and really helping to balance all of those things um because we are mind body and spirit and so um i love that it pulls all of my mechanical knowledge uh in and and just gives you some things to kind of think about when you're looking at uh a body, which is really cool because of all the fascial connections. So the one thing I always say to people who have experienced osteo or have worked with uh, an osteopathic manual practitioner in the past is they kind of look at it like it's voodoo, it's magic. Um, <laughs> and it's like, a, it's like a running joke, right? Like you are coming in to see me for your shoulder, but I might go down and work on something in your hip or, you know, where your hands on your feet. And everybody's just like what are you doing and really you're just looking at all it really just comes down to a solid solid base of anatomy and physiology and how everything is connected uh fascially and and if something isn't moving properly um then it's our job to kind of remove that restriction so that it, it can um move better and then it will help with so really it's looking at okay your pain is in your shoulder but why is it there can it be because of the lung can it be because of the thoracic spine can it be coming from the hip and the way that those mechanics are are working all the way through the body and so that's really how it works and it it really ties in and pulls in that whole the body has an innate ability to heal itself and our job is just to help it be able to express that and so there's a lot of freedom in the way that you approach something when you are when you're looking at a body that way and when you bring in um that much knowledge around anatomy so that's why i kind of love it 
Yeah. And that, that's the biggest thing is that I find like when you have someone come into your clinic or an athlete, you, you know, they say, Oh, I have pain in my neck from whatever it is, but it's, you know, little do they know there's so many things that attach to that and connect to that, that you almost have to do a full body scan and see, okay, well maybe it's pulling from the opposite side or whatever it is. So, you know, I think the best part about having so many, um, you know, professions together is that you can kind of mold all of your experience and apply and educate that person that, you know, it may be your neck, but it also could be from, you know, your shoulder or, you know, something to do with your chest expansion, something like that, right? So Mm -hmm. I think it's so important for that also to be a huge thing for people to know is is education. So absolutely. Yeah, you're working with somebody who has chronic pain or chronic conditions. Um, our body has compensatory patterns and it, it compensates when something isn't working or moving as well as it should. And oftentimes our pain, unless it's something traumatic um, that has happened uh, to the body, it's it, oftentimes it's a result of. Um, and the one thing that I, I always get is when I do a health history, I want to know everything. I'm looking at things <laughs> that happened for a kid. I'm looking at I don't want to know what happened last week. I want to know all of it. I want to know, um, you know, just how the body's going to react to um, anything, uh, medication you're taking, uh, supplements you're taking. Um, it's not my job to know about those or to guide you in those. That's, you know, you have doctors and, and naturopaths and everything for that. But it is my understanding to say like, okay, well, that's going to maybe tax something um, uh, in the liver and the kidneys and and create some fascial um, compensation patterns that are just kind of systems and understanding how they all work together um, to be able to kind of help settle things down a bit for, for what you're doing. So you want to really pull and get a good thorough history from somebody. Otherwise, you're just chasing pain, and that never gets anybody better. I think um, as practitioners, we all know that, um, or we should. Uh, chasing pain and trying to um, help somebody with one particular area never results in making either of you happy. So you want to get to the root cause. And I find osteo was really good at, at helping me figure out what those root causes were. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the health history is the most important part of an assessment. And I find, I think some people get like nervous telling you things or like, um, you know, I've had so many different occasions where, you know, I received their health history and I'm like, okay, like, so you don't have any of these? Oh, well, I mean, I did like a year ago or, um, well, it was like 10 years ago, so it doesn't even matter. And it's like, no people, like it is crucial to know your whole health history because if you didn't take care of it 10 years ago, then, you know, you have to think about how much your body has compensated in that time and all the fascial planes that have adjusted and everything like that. So, um, I 100% agree with you. It's, it's definitely something that I think a lot of people don't realize the importance of it. And that's why yeah. we have to do an assessment so many times. So yeah, yeah, I agree. And if there's like new grads or students that are there and they're unsure, because I find a lot of the times with, I work with a lot of uh, different students and interns. And so you get taught to ask this question, but you might not understand why you're asking the question. So make sure you understand why you're asking the question. You don't want to get in a situation where you're when a client asks you why and you don't know just because they told yeah. me to. So understand why you're asking those questions. And you're usually asking them to do with the body system or 
you know, um, injury history, but understand it. And if you don't go pick up a book and figure it out or ask somebody who does ask those questions. Like there's no problem asking a question or saying you don't know something. So really for like new grads and new practitioners, don't just ask a question to check it off the list. Know why? Because that could be the answer to what their um, complaint is. Whatever their complaint is could be inside that question that you don't know why you're asking. So make sure that you understand that yeah. and understand follow-up questions that come to that should go along with it. Yeah, exactly. Like prepare for anything. And I think that's the, the thing that school prepares you a lot for, but then also like your hands-on experience really does give you that kind of push that says, okay, like if they answer this way, I know what's coming with the next assessment or whatever it is. So yeah, absolutely. So how do you, like as a practitioner, how do you know how long a treatment's supposed to be for someone? Or is there like a specific time, like massage, for example, where it's like a half an hour, 45 minutes or an hour? Like, do you have a time frame, or is it just kind of like, who knows? <laughs> I always feel problems with the, with the structure of a typical massage therapy session. And I think what's really cool about massage therapy is that there's so many different avenues a practitioner can go down because our, our scope of practice is huge. Um, and so you can go from coming in and, and getting affleurage and, and, you know, your, re your regular techniques done, or you can come in and get craniosacral done. And so those, they're going to look completely different or myofascial, like all of that stuff is, and you and I have had that conversation before, like they're just such a broad range of treating people. The way I treat somebody is not the way that you treat somebody. So it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, but both of them are, but both of them are, are in our scope of practice. They're just added tools. Right. And so, um, I think, uh, the way I structure, uh, treatment and the way an osteo, if you're going to go see somebody for an osteopathy treatment, um, they will typically run between 45 minutes to an hour. Um, and I mean, practitioners who are super great at what they do might stick to a 45 minute run because they know what they're looking for and they are going after their, their stuff. Um, and for me, it's, it's a, it's an hour. I think, I don't know that I ever really see anybody on a half an hour basis, unless it's somebody that I just need to check in and, um, and usually that's like an athlete that I see constantly and they just need something to kind of get them going for whatever practice we have coming up. But if you're coming in to see me, then it's going to be for an hour session so I can get through history, what's changed, um, what's made you feel the same. Maybe, and I find too, with the way that we treat, um, you can clear something up, but you might uncover something. So it's like pe peeling back those layers of an onion. And so they're starting to feel better, but you know what? Something is popping up over here and it leads you back down. Like it, it's kind of like following the path, right? And so um, I think for me, I feel most comfortable right now at treating on a, an hour um, session. Yeah, per, which per is perfect. Person. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, you know, especially like on their first time, it has to be at least an hour because, you know, you are going to find things and there are so many times where you know, you get into a situation where after the treatment, they're like, yeah, my shoulder feels good, but now my neck hurts. And it's like, oh, geez, it's like, you know, you, yeah. you really start to, you know, take it apart. What your profession is, it's going to completely be a thing that happens across the board. Um, I think uh, the other 
aspect is if you're going to go see somebody like if you go to the school because I know our our college has a student clinic those sessions are an hour and a half but they um, it's because you're being taught or you're being treated by students so it gives them time to make sure that they've gone through everything and they can review it with their with their um, prof and and have things signed off on um, but it's exhausting as a practitioner to do longer yep. than that so I I'm I'm happy like typically with an hour there's very few occasions where I'm like man I could have just saw you for 30 minutes and you would have been fine yeah. Yep. I know. I know those ones. I feel those yeah. ones. So um, something that I typically get asked is, you know, if um, if it's covered by insurance companies. So I know that there's so many things that are changing, even with athletic therapy and stuff like that. But how are you going to cope in the future with insurance companies and coverage and all that kind of stuff? So this is a key one. And I've talked to a couple of people because I knew how I wanted to answer this one. Um, so. Yes, osteopathy is covered by a large majority of um, insurance co companies. Again, with anything, you're, you want your, your um, patient or clients to look at their own plan so they know what they've got. Um, but the big thing with, um, with the area is that, unlike massage, it's unregulated. And that comes with its own issues. And so... There are really, uh, to my knowledge, there's really three major schools um, that you go to and it'll be covered. So well, the one thing that is kind of cool for us is that the insurance companies have kind of started to regulate who an osteopathic manual practitioner is. Um, so if you are going to go see somebody for an osteopathic treatment, you want to look at where they've gone to school. And if it isn't from the Canadian Academy of Osteopathy, which is in Hamilton, or the Canadian College of Osteopathy in uh, Toronto. Um, and there's another one, and I can never remember the name of it. It's also in Toronto. It's new. Um, then I would maybe start asking some questions about what their background is, because we have a lot of places that teach osteopathy online. And osteopathy is uh, manual therapy, and, and to learn how to palpate is a completely different skill when you're working as an osteo. And so uh, I, I raise a lot of red flags on that um, right there. And so they have as well. So the surprise can come if you are going to see somebody and you haven't done your homework on where they've gone to school. Um, and then in that process, they might come back and say no, because there have been a bunch of, of uh, schools that they won't come um and and in that the two associations that you typically join in ontario for um and even outside actually um are the oao and the ooa um for the associations for osteopathic manual practitioners to join once they've finished their schooling and those two are the ones that are covered by um insurance companies so just kind of throwing that out there just make sure as with anybody make sure you're doing your homework and who you're going to see absolutely and i think that's the most important thing and that's why like i always love to answer like know the answer to that question because sometimes i don't know like i have no idea like and every insurance company is different obviously so you know some only cover like five percent some cover like a hundred percent so it's always a good yeah. Question. And I'm like the last person to ask because I tell my patients like 
I don't know what your insurance plan is because everybody's insurance plan is different. So even as an athletic therapist, we have such a small amount of coverage that if you're coming to see me for athletic therapy, then just make sure that it's covered. Yeah. Um, if you want to go that route, um, and, and only you're going to know that. So you have to call and ask your insurance company if that's something that was picked because your employer does it, blah, 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 blah. So you want to make sure that you know what you're covered for when you come, when you're coming to see any kind of practitioner. Yeah. Which is, which is so key. Like I, I, I cannot stress that enough to anyone who is listening, who wants to, you know, get more therapy and all that kind of stuff, but doesn't know, like definitely just call your insurance company, <laughs> just, you know, figure out what your coverage is and stuff like that. So that's so awesome. So, um, you know, with, with all your professions, you know, where are you working, you know, these days, like, where are you currently working and, and, uh, um, you know, what, what area are you looking to maybe build into? So I, um, I own my own practice in Orangeville, Ontario called Fortitude Therapy and Wellness. Um, it's a home-based practice, um, that, you know, I have at some point I'll grow into something bigger, but this is where we're at and I absolutely love it. Um, and I also work in Toronto, um, with a strength and conditioning coach named Matt Nickel. Um, and I work with uh, his strength and conditioning coaches and, and athletes. And um, he's a huge mentor of mine and has helped guide me to where I'm at right now. So um, I love being able to work with, a part, with that team and as a part of that team because it's outstanding. Um, and so I'm down there as well. So you can find me in either of those places. And then I'm also um, the lead um ist which is if anybody doesn't know what ist means it's integrated support team um for the next gen on the uh or next generation um athletes at uh, canada basketball on the men's side as well as the lead um athletic therapist for the cadet men's national team um and i am the head therapist for the orangeville junior a northman lacrosse club as well so I work with a lot of lacrosse, basketball, and hockey players, and all of the other players and athletes that come in as well. But yeah, that's where I'm at. So I work in a, I have my toes in a whole bunch of different little buckets. Well, damn. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she's that person, guys. She is amazing. Um, you know, that is something that I truly admire about you, because you can be in a thousand places at once. And, you know, in Canada, she's traveling the world. So it's amazing just to, you know, follow her amazing story. So with that, even, you know, out of all of those places um, that I've had even, you know, one of the privileges to work uh, at with you, um, what is one success story that you have of an athlete that you can think of that, you know, really made you feel happy or proud um, to be a therapist or even a funny story, whichever one? I have, I mean, you work with a lot of really cool, different stories. Um, and so the one thing, um, I have a few that I'm kind of like super proud of, but what I really, what I really love is working with a team. So um, it isn't just you who works to get somebody better. It's the strength and conditioning coaches and the chiros and the massage therapists, and we all kind of work together to get people to um reach their goal or overcome injuries which is super amazing i think a lot of times people don't like to share and 
you're not doing the best for that particular person and or athlete if you aren't willing to work with a greater uh, population of people. And you learn so much more as a practitioner when you open yourself up to working with them. Um, I think I've had, you know, I had one um, a few years ago now, which is crazy, uh, who um, got into a scenario where uh, his health went downhill real, real, really, really quickly. Um, we actually had to airlift him home and his recovery was uh, six weeks in hospital. And it didn't actually, we weren't really positive if he was gonna be able to continue on doing what it was he was doing beforehand. And so watching his progression and being a part of, you know, coordinating his care from each stage, from working with the staff at the hospital, from the docs and the team there, and actually being able to be brought in um, and have a seat at that table when it came to recovery, um, because they were used to working with a certain population. And then um, we're looking at like, he's not just that population, they're also um, an elite athlete. Mm -hmm. um, and so to be able to recover them was totally different. So working with the physios in the hospital was super cool. Um, I was expecting a little bit more of uh, pushback, but we able we were able to kind of communicate and work together to get them to get them to a certain spot. And uh, um, and so now they're back, they're thriving. Uh, I think even the hospital administration that we were working with, like all the doctors and everything, were just blown away that we managed to get them back to this point. And and so uh, he they've got a long career coming up for them and, um, uh, and his hopes of uh, being a professional athlete are still, are still there. And, and so that's going to be, it's amazing to watch that kind of progress and come through. Um, but even working with um, athletes and getting them back from their ACL injuries that everybody kind of, you know, has their, their issues with, um, it can be nerve-wracking and, and taking somebody from that kind of state to getting them back into play um, is always a huge success because you kind of walk in and you uh, I think the great thing about doing those rehabs and being a part of those rehabs is you see all the mental and physical roadblocks along the way and so it's not just and that's kind of the thing I love about Osteo that it brings in, it's not just working with that injury, you're working with that whole person. So to be able to help give them the confidence that they can go from being not able to walk because they're in their Zimmer splint to um, playing um, recreationally, professionally, whatever level it is that they're going to and get back and be able to play that without um, uh, having to worry about it and, and getting that mental kind of side component in is always a lot of fun as well. It's the challenge. I love working with ACL injuries and that's um, one of the reasons why, because there's such an up and down, but you really have to work with that kind of human component as well um, and really kind of create that trust um, between the practitioner and the, and the athlete or patient and um in order to get the, to those goals or it's not, it's not going to happen. So yeah, um, those are the kind of things that you love watching when you're working together and 
And the other part of that is just, like I said, working with a team of people that, um, you know, blows my mind all the time that I get to kind of communicate and, and work with them uh, on, a on a regular basis. And then you create those referrals as well. So when working with general pop um, type of people, you also have that referral base to kind of come back to and say, you know what, like, I think they need, they need something more. And, and so you're, you can kind of bounce ideas off each other. And, and I think that's pretty, pretty awesome too. Yeah. I, I think that's the most, like at the end of the day, that's the the one thing that I think um, every profession should do is really mold together and work with each other. And I, I couldn't agree more with you. I think there are definitely some circumstances that um, we've all experienced where we've also had to take the back seat because of our level of education compared to others or, um, you know, just being able to have everyone's opinions versus just a few. I think that's crucial because who knows, you know, like you're, you may have a couple years of, of experience in the field, but you also, you know, could be very book smart or whatever it is. So being able to kind of put those all together is, is super important. And, um, you know, that is, that is a wicked story. That is incredible. Like that's to see that progression too is, is a dream. I bet like, wow. Yeah. Um, it definitely changed me as a pr practitioner, for sure, and the way that I approach things, um, 100%. You, I think you have those defining moments throughout your career that kind of help change and, and mold you. That was definitely one of mine. Um, and I think the other part is um, you could be really a really phenomenal manual pr practitioner of any kind, but it doesn't mean that you're you're the sole need for that particular person the entire way through. So have a team around you that can help you get to those goals or help that athlete get to the, those, those goals and, and know what your role is in each stage. Um, I think uh, if anybody, if you don't know who she is, uh, Sue Felsone, um, yep. amazing woman. Yep. Um, she wrote a book called Bridging the Gap, which actually talks about um, how to incorporate a whole team approach into working with that athletic population and helping them get back from injury and, and kind of the role each person plays along the way, which kind of explains that. Like, we should all innately know that, but we don't. Um, and so I, I loved that. I dove into that book hard, and it was, it was great. It's um, kind of the way that I, I have luckily come through my, my, um, my profession and, and the way that I and the people that I get to work with. but um it's just it's out there to read so it's a great one for people to kind of pick up and, and get into if they haven't already so definitely with that book that you're talking about i i agree like bridging the gap is so important and i think with every profession there seems to be a gap but hopefully one day we'll be able to kind of merge everything together and all be you know educated in a great way <laughs> on all you know professions I think it comes down to like the connections you make and, and creating that team that you have around you ultimately as well. Like finding those people who have those same core values because not everybody's going to look at things the same the same way. And, and honestly, I, I think sometimes you don't want people on your team that look at stuff exactly the way that you do or, or just working with the same person. Um, so you want to have people who can kind of play off each other a bit. Um, so I think uh it really comes down to just creating that core group of people that you get to work with and and i have a, like because i work with ken basswell and i work with 
Maddie at his gym and, and being able to have those, those teams of people that are just, you know, outstanding to, uh, to work with. Um, it makes your life and your job a lot easier. Definitely like Matt Nickel is someone who is such an inspiration and I couldn't agree more with you about, you know, mentorships and all that kind of stuff because his gym alone and all the people who are on his team, you know, that is truly the definition of a team. Like every single one of them brings something to the table every, um, you know, summer when we had the privilege to, to work with everyone. And that is something that is, is truly important because once you build that um, team, as well as, you know, working on those connections and stuff like that, it will take you so much more in education as well as experience. So I, I completely agree with you. I think it's, it is very key. Um, and with that being said, you know, with the amount of athletes that you've, you've experienced, uh, working with and, and building yeah. that knowledge, um, you know, with the ACL injuries and stuff like that, do you find that with the sports that you're working with, um, and applying some of those techniques that you've kind of gained with your professions, like, um, with post-concussion or with concussion stuff, do you find that it has really skyrocketed with our education and knowledge in how to fix or maintain a concussion? Um, so I'm, my whole thesis for osteopathy, which you know, uh, is on <laughs> concussion and the rehabilitation of it. So my, my thesis right now is looking at the effect of osteopathic treatment with a gen, like with a more focused Air, uh, thrash, on the thoracic region. I'm looking at to see what happens when you treat the viscera and the thorax. Um, because we already look at the head and the neck and we know we can make um, some pretty good uh, um, changes, some pretty significant changes with, with uh, people who have concussions. So I wanted to look at the thorax. I'm not saying don't look at all of that. I'm just saying right now, I'm just really interested in what the effect would be if I, if I do work on the, on the thorax. And you can pull everything in later. Um, but I would say it's tricky. I think people have a general understanding of concussion and they know they're bad and don't put anybody back in while they've got one. And, but I think the lack right now, there's so much focus on trying to diagnose it, um, that there isn't a ton of information on how to recover somebody from a, from a concussion. And so I'm still, I get a, I get a variety of people now that, we, um, and, and when we do have concussions, I get a lot of referrals for them. Um, and I like working with them too. Uh, and they are a challenge because they can, it's such a crazy phenomenon of, of, of symptoms that occur and, and trying to understand what happens is really the foundation and the basis of what I do as, as, an osteopathic man and practitioner, which I'm not yet. It's going to be from a recovery perspective. Um, I think there's some gaps there that need to be filled and there's not enough understanding around what's actually going on in order to do that. So the main areas right now that we're moving away from, you know, rest is best. It's good for the first two days, like first 48 hours. And then you want to progressively start getting them to do more activity um, are recovering better. So, and the longer that you put off getting them into that kind of yep. scenario, uh, the longer they have symptoms for. So 
we're looking at that, they're looking at the vestibular system and treating it, and then you're looking at the mechanics of what happened. And so I think really it all has, again, that comes down to playing with others and working with other teams of people and understanding when you need to refer somebody, but also knowing that um, maybe vestibular therapy and the ocular therapy you're giving them, if it's making your symptoms worse, it's not always better. And, um, and so you want to say like, okay, for me, I'm going to, I'm going to treat the cranium and get where the ocular nerve runs through. Um, I'm going to look at any compactions in the cranial bones from maybe an impact you had looking down through the thorax and the whiplash and in your neck, we do a lot of strengthening there. And then looking at anything that could be kind of holding any kind of pattern um, and freeing those restrictions and then bringing the ocular therapy and the vestibular therapy, therapy back into it. And what I've found with some of the um, people that I've been working with is if the vestibular treatment is really setting them off, when we open up everything um, that I kind of just listed and then get them to do the ocular therapy, they're recovering better and, and we're getting them back a lot faster. So we've had a few where they were out for months and weren't recovering in any kind of way. And we gave them four or five treatments uh, to help open everything up and then reintroduce some of the stuff that they were doing before. Um, and there was a bigger jump and we got them back into play. So I think understanding those things um, is, is where there's a bit of a lack right now. And so everybody's pushing concussion and baseline testing. One thing we're moving away from right now is uh, is baseline testing, that it's not showing as much as it used to because people and athletes have taken them so many times they know how to cheat on them. Uh, uh, I had, and I just had a concussion, an athlete um, who ad admittedly lied on their baseline test so that it would be easier for them to get back into play later. And as a result, suffered back-to-back -back concussions because they could pass their, their baseline so essentially they were recovered according to who they were working with and, and then missed four months of play and was an absolute mess by the time I got there. Um, and so baseline testing is what they're really looking at is saying like, take the, to do that baseline scat test, but do it when they get their concussion instead of doing it before and then after and, and waiting to go back to your results from before. So we're moving away from that as well. And that's all up in the literature and and uh and so yeah it's an area i'm definitely thoroughly kind of immersed in right now um but i would say that those are the gaps that i'm seeing uh not a lot of doctors like just uh, uh gps really kind of understand outside of prescribing rest that's still the number one thing they'll tell you to do um and then it's recovery how do you do it and how do you get them back safely and I find a lot of people are afraid of, of concussions and working with them. And if they're not afraid, they're not maybe not directing people in, in, in the best way because they haven't looked at everything that's out yet. So areas that really need some, some development is definitely rehab and appropriate rehabs. Um, but again, I think it, just like with anything else, it's going to come down to making sure you have that team of people um, that can take you from point A to point B. So making sure you're getting looked at um for your hands-on strengthening neck strengthening all of that and then do, adding in that vestibular system stuff as well and knowing when to back off and keep pushing as well yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. I think so many teams, unfortunately, are so dominant on using baseline testing as the only testing um, for pre and post season. And I, I think it's really tough sometimes because when you know how many tests should be done on certain people, or if you, you know, if you start asking them, you know, say these words back, and they already know what those words are, I completely agree with what you're saying. It's, it's tough because we're asking them to be honest, but in realistic terms, I mean, they already know everything, what's, what's coming for the testing. So yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's a tough one, but definitely if you get the right team who really do have that experience in all those regions of concussion, pre, post, and inter, then you can go a long way with it. Absolutely. It, again, it comes down to that trust in the therapist and the person that you're working with. If you know that they're going to help you, you're more likely to report it. I mean, that's even being shown in the in the in the research as well. It's just the underreporting because they don't want to miss anything, and um, and so having that relationship with either the team you're working with, because I, I do that as well. I work with a lot of teams and a lot of a lot of athletes, and and so you want them to be able to to be comfortable coming to tell you that a they have it. Mm-hmm. or they've sustained a concussion or any injury at all that you don't want them to hide it because it'll make it worse um and if you have that relationship where they know that uh i'm gonna come tell you i'm gonna feel better then then i find underreporting is not as big of an issue but you have to have that relationship with them for sure 100 percent. and i think that's the tough thing sometimes when you know like you and i have both done camps and um there's definitely times where athletes get really defensive and they say that they're fine on the bench or whichever because they don't want you to pull them from the game or whatever it is. And it's just like from a um, professional point of view, it's hard because you are truly really looking out for their their greater good. But for them, they just want to finish that game because it's the finals or whatever it is. And they're not thinking longevity wise of what their career is going to be, which is more frustrating. <laughs> I've had athletes that are you know, I, I mean, even just, I got a concussion in training camp and that was it. It was over for them. And I had one in particular that had happened every training camp for three years with this kid, but it didn't, he, so he never made the team and he, and he was fantastic, but, um, he made all the subsequent teams, um, and it's totally in our, in our system, but every year he would do something and, and end up with a concussion and, um, or concussion like symptoms. And it was enough that I was like, I can't guarantee that you'd be able to travel with us. So um, that means it's, it's ending. And I, I do have a great relationship with that athlete. It's not, he's not going to not call me and be like, uh, and tell me that there's something wrong. Um, because it just, it is what it is. And, and he's still doing phenomenal. So, um, I think those, it really, again, it's that trust in, in who you're working with that really helps that, that go. Big time. Yeah. As long as they know that, you know, you have the right intentions for them and it's, you know, you're not trying to purposely ruin their career (laughs) or their soon to be career, whichever it is. But so is there anything in, in just concluding this all, is there anything that you want the public or athletes to know about, you know, the profession and, and, you know, the, any, anything at all that moving forward would, would benefit them to know about it? Yeah. Um, I'd say I work predominantly with a lot of athletes, but osteopathy is wonderful in that it looks at not just athletes. And in fact, a lot of people don't work with athletes. It's um, definitely for general population. I get a lot of people who come in because they just want to feel better. They want their health 
or they're doing something preventative. I have people who have come to see me because, uh, and I'm, again, uh, I'm almost uh, an osteopathic man and practitioner, uh, but I treat very craniosacrally. So um, uh, you can have people who are coming in, I guess, from a student clinic perspective, we have people who come in with uh, a range of medical conditions, which is sometimes super cool to be able to see the other side of it. So you work with an athletic population, you're seeing the same stuff over and over again. Um, but we have people who have come into our student clinic to see us with asthma. Like that's their main complaint. I have asthma, I have diabetes, I have, I, I did uh, chemo treatments and, and I have breast cancer or um, they've had some form of physical trauma, um, there's a lot of other reasons. I think one, we had one really cool one who came in with a, to see us for their main complaint was, uh, something to do with our kidneys. I can't remember. Um, so the way that you look at things and, and the conditions that you can see, there's a wide variety of, of ways to look at it. And we are, I'm always careful to say like, we don't treat those conditions. We just treat the body that's in front of us and help it move as best as it can. Um, so I, like, I really think that needs to be stressed too, is we're not treating those conditions. We're not diagnosing that condition. That's not in any way our job. Our job is just to help your body kind of function as optimally as it can, which is fairly similar to everybody else's, um, profession. Um, it just brings it into a deeper level and a deeper understanding through anatomy and, and ties it all in together. So it isn't it is it by no means for, for athletes. I just tend to apply it to them because I work with them a lot. Um, but it is, there's such a broad range of things that you could work with and, and, and see. Exactly. Exactly. And thank you so much for coming on the show, Mary. It has truly been amazing and full of education. I hope everyone has taken a little tidbit from the show and is going to run with it and book appointments for osteo because it is truly such an incredible therapy and it has so many benefits. Until next time, guys. Cheers. Cheers.